0: Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. At nearly a hundred million acres, California is a big state, and during the 2020 wildfire season, over eight thousand eight hundred fires have contributed to the burning of nearly 4.5 million acres, making it the largest fire season in California's modern history. To put that in context, the 2020 fires have burned more than the last three years combined, with five of the six biggest fires in California's history happening this year. Unfortunately, there's been over 10,400 structures that have been damaged or destroyed, and at least 31 fatalities relating to the wildfires. Today, over 5,600 firefighters continue to battle 22 wildfires in the Golden State. Hotshot crews are the most highly trained, skilled, and experienced type of hand crews. Hotshot crews are made up of 20 to 22 wildland firefighters who respond to large, high-priority fires across the state and the nation and fight the most challenging parts of the fire. They are trained and equipped to work autonomously in remote areas for extended periods of time with little or no logistical support. The Texas Canyon hotshot crew, located in the Santa Clarita Valley in Southern California, was established back in 1954. Zuni Indians served as firefighters with Texas Canyon until the 1977 fire season, and the knife wing Kachina is the official symbol of the crew, which has fought fires in just about every Western state, including Alaska. I catch up with Justine Good, who's been a hotshot with the Texas Canyon crew for five years. Justine is about to deploy to her eighth fire of the season. What you're about to hear are Justine's personal views and opinions, not those of the U.S. Forest Service or, for that matter, anyone else. I start by asking Justine about her pets, which she's trying to quiet down. So I have, uh, I
1: have a couple animals. So I have uh, Chip. He's a Yorkie. Um, he's very small but very brave. And then I also have a mini pig that, you know, as mini pigs are not that mini once they totally grow up. He's about seventy pounds. He still sleeps in, in bed with me and mostly on the couch and he just hangs out. And uh these two, they they don't really get along, but they don't un-get along if that makes sense.
0: But there's probably a whole Instagram feed of dogs and pigs.
1: There is, which I was influenced by, and I always try and get them to like, you know, sleep in the same bed together, and they never do. But you know, whatever. No, nobody's life is like
0: Instagram. <laughs> That's Well, if anyone's life is like Instagram, it might be you. You were kind of like a real life action hero.
1: <laughs> Funny, I was thinking about that. Like the more you get to know someone, the more you realize, and they're just like, oh my God, dude, everything's so amazing. And then you actually like, see how it it really is. You're like, ah, oh, dude, everybody's got, everybody's the same. You
0: know, what I mean, everybody's got problems. What is a Texas Canyon hotshot, Justine? Because you are one.
1: I am a Texas Canyon hotshot. It really is cool. Um, so it's like, it seems probably pretty arrogant to actually call yourself a hotshot is literally in our job name. So we're, uh, you know, I probably should have done a little bit more research to find out exactly how many hotshot crews there are in the nation. There's not a ton of us. It's a pretty uh, small amount of, of groups. So we're basically like a special uses module that go to hard to access or difficult to access portions of the fire or fires. So, um, a lot of time with wildfires, you know, they might start off the road, but then they burn up kind of going towards the middle of nowhere, or they start from a lightning strike in the middle of nowhere. They're very difficult to access. And, you know, you're not going to be able to just drive up there and put a hose lay from the road. So, that's where we come in. We're um, a hand crew. So, we either hike in or we fly in um, to get to those more difficult portions of the fire.
0: I think we had like 9,000 lightning strikes or something insane in one month alone. So crazy time for you who phones the hot shots and deploys you
1: so most all fires are handled by like teams so they're either like type one type two or type three so like incidences so anything in like la county is going to be a type three incident right off the bat even if it's a little 10 by 20 spot or something like that and that's just because of like the complexity level of how many people come and jurisdiction and all that kind of issues and then when the fire gets bigger, it becomes a type two fire. And then once it, you know, those real big, huge campaign fires, those are type one fires. Like So you think of like Creek Fire or Saddle Ridge or the Bobcat that we just had, any of these larger fires that we've just had, those are type one. And it, they're, they, you have these people that are just like us, they're modules, they're teams made up of like different people from different agencies. And you have like an incident commander and you have an operations chief and you have a finance chief and you have all these different parts and it's kind of like they set up a it's almost like a tent city where the logistics are happening, the maps are being printed, the plan is coming out of like, you know, what we want to do. You have all the division supervisors there. Um and then it just breaks down, trickles down smaller and smaller and smaller. So we are the boots on the ground.
0: There was this really cool program in the eighties called the A Team and it was like you'd send in the A Team. So that that's kind of that's kind of you. Where are you when you get the call?
1: We are. We have a fire station just like okay. everybody else. Our station is um, right here in Santa Clarita. There's actually a patrol that runs out of that station, um, an engine, engine 317, and then our crew. A hotshot crew is a, essentially a 20-person um, hand crew. Like everything in fire, you kind of want to break down to span, span of control, if that makes sense. You, you don't want to be supervising too many people, otherwise it all goes to hell. So you have like a superintendent and then he supervises kind of the two captains and the two captains. There's also one superintendent. That's the guy that drives like the chase truck in front of he, in front of the two like mods, which are basically like uh, souped up school buses. They're like sparkless trucks with uh, seats in there, jumper seats in there. So you have him in a, a soup truck, which is like a, a chase truck. And he's usually like
0: out ahead of us. And you say he, cause it's generally a he.
1: I'm actually yes. the only yeah. female on my group and I have been for the whole five years that I've been there. So, but yeah, there are allowed to be superintendent girls. There's just not a ton of them. So he's, you know, driving out in front and then you have, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six guys in the back.
0: And that's where you would be.
1: Yeah. I'm like, I am, uh, like, well, I guess like a lead firefighter or something like that. Like in the back, I've been there for a while. I've had a you know, a couple of details as the squad boss, as soon as one of the squad bosses moves up to a captain in another module, like I'll be able to get that, hopefully be able to get that spot. So that's, that's my intention.
0: So this has been an insane year, Justine. I I mean, just from the outside, it feels like you must have been working a lot.
1: This has been a really, really busy year. We actually have a lot of really busy years, so 2018 it, it felt like almost the same thing. I, I know that as far as like acres burned, this is, you know, maybe twice as much as uh the last biggest year, which was 2018. But one cool thing about hot is we're a national resource. So uh we can actually be sent out of state and we often are. So a lot of time, you know, California, especially Southern California, keeps us so busy, we just end up staying, you know, in California for the whole season. But on more moderate years, like last year, 2019 was a very moderate year in California. And then we went to Alaska, we went to Colorado, we went to Arizona, we went like kind of all over the place. So we'll, we'll stay busy regardless. You know, like I said, there's not a ton of hotshot modules. So they're often like, you know, being called for on a lot of different fires.
0: I guess there's two scenarios that you described. One is where you hike in and the other is where you're kind of dropped in by airplane
1: yeah, we're not like jumpers, so there are smoke jumpers, and those are the guys that actually jump out of the fixed wing planes. A lot of time, they like it, you can work in conjunction with the jumpers. They'll jump out and they'll build like what you call like a landing spot for the helicopter. We'll land, get out, and then we'll put in the real work.
0: Did you need a lot of wilderness like training and skills, like everything from orientation to like how to survive out there? I mean, you, you're pretty much not only alone in the wilderness, but battling a fire so like how, how do you get trained to do what you do
1: so it's not quite as willy-nilly as it as it might sound there's actually like a, a, a lot of, of like things that have to fall into a place for us to accept that assignment like yeah okay we'll go up there that looks good and one of it is a safe place to like be dropped off at and a safe place to set up camp up there like does it make sense the second thing is can the team support us logistically now part of what makes you like a hotshot crew or having like a type one status is that you can support yourself for 72 hours. Like we're standalone. We have enough water, batteries, food, everything else for 72 hours. After that, the team needs to make sure that they'll be able to support us logistically. So as long as those things are in place, then it's like, okay, cool. So we get dropped off. First thing you do is you make, you set up like a kind of a camp maybe leave someone behind to make sure that everything's set up with that we have like a good area to be able to come back to.
0: What's the average time you stay at that camp? Are you staying there for like a week? Are you just there for a day and then you move to a different camp? Like what does it look like?
1: When we're dropped off, that's called like the spiked out. You spike out. So that means where you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, you're not attached to the main camp or whatever. We basically are kept out for two weeks at a time and and a lot of time, you know, they're not, I think that used to be like back in the day, they just drop you off. I'm like, all right, see you guys in two weeks. We'll pick you up. Um, and then everybody comes back unshaven with big beards and stuff like that. Here in 2020, I guess, you know, people a little softer, they, they try and rotate crews out. You're, you know, it's pretty rare. I think the longest I've been spiked out was like 11 days or something like that. In those remote places, you pretty much need a hotshot crew. Otherwise it's not going to get done. We get sent to like all the fires. Like we were on the Bobcat, some people staying in hotels we were close enough to our station that we were able to go back to the station but hotshot crews were still in high demand because we're pretty good at like the backfiring and sending those backburns
0: so what what is a backburn tell us about that so you're in you're in the boonies you've got lightning strikes you you get sent out you got a camp and now like what are the kind of things that you're doing
1: there's a couple ways you can put a fire out. One way is you can put water on it, which kind of like takes the heat out of it, right? So that's kind of what you're going to be doing with helicopter drops. And that's what you're going to be doing with like a hose lay. I'm going to cool the fire off and that's going to put it out. Um, Another way that you can put it out is you could just remove the fuel that it would normally burn. So let's say the fire is coming and what we do is we put in a hand line. I don't know if you've ever seen that. You're probably more familiar with like the inmate crews that also do the same thing then they're just kind of removing the the combustible fuel. So what could be burned, um, that's in the fire's path. Um, And you do that with a combination of like different tools between a chainsaw. It's usually a configuration. You have a chainsaw and then someone right behind the guy with the chainsaw throwing what he just cut. And then you have a guy right behind that with a combination of different hand tools knocking out the stobs and then scraping it to bare mineral soil. So once you get to that fire, so fire gets to that edge and then you scrape that little, like, you know, maybe two foot, six foot line, and then it has nothing else to burn. And then it's now been lined and, you know, it'll kind of go out in itself. So that's our main thing that we do.
0: And that's just incredibly labor intensive. I mean, it sounds like what you're describing, crazy.
1: Yeah, you're like, it's 2020. Like, there's gotta be an easier way. Like, I can't believe people still do this, but, you know, here we are.
0: And, I mean, in non-remote areas, they do that with, like, a bulldozer, right?
1: Dozers are awesome, and we oftentimes work in conjunction with bulldozers. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of places that dozers can't go. So dozers can't go if it's too steep or if there's rocks is a major, like, um, issue with dozers. So there's places, you know, and if you can get a dozer up there, you always, you know, use a dozer. So we'll work in conjunction with dozers, with helicopters. Sometimes you need a ship there ahead of you to, like cool it down for us to be able to get in there. Um And we're going to like, we'll look, okay, let's say we can, take you know, we can get this ridge to this ridge with the dozer, but we're going to have to do this piece by hand because it's just too steep or it's just too rocky. So, you know, um it, like, you know how they say it takes a village? Well, it takes a village to put a fire out. So you do everything kind of in conjunction with hose lays, helicopters, fixed wings, and bulldozers to, you know, put that sucker out. And, and every fire is a little different and every area is different of what you can and can't get in there.
0: So what about your own personal sense of fear or safety? Like there must be times where you're just like, holy shit, this this is coming for me. This is my end.
1: You know, honestly, um, I would love to like dramatize it for you. It's less willy-nilly than it is in the movies. You know what I mean? We're not like... Yeah, just get in there. Just go in there and put that line in. Like, ah, there's a big fire though. It's never like that. I mean, you're always kinda like you you look at a piece and you always you you provide for your own safety first, basically. Like you never want to be part of the problem, like, oh, I'm just gonna get in there and I'm gonna go save this house or I'm gonna go get this piece of line in, and then like we all burn up. Like that's just making a a bigger mess, kind of. So just starting with that, you look at every situation, you're like, okay, do we have a good safety zone? And then as we progress, we're like, how far are we from our safety zone? So you're always like thinking about like your access to your safety zone, your escape route. Um, You always kind of want to have multiple plans in place. Like this is our primary plan. Then we want our contingency plan. And then we want our it all goes to hell plan. That doesn't work. We're going to move over to this road. If that road, we can't hold it there. We're going to bring it up on this ridge. Or sometimes it's like, let's say like a Santa Ana fire. Then you're like, man, there's... there's nothing we can do right now. We're just going to let it blow through and then we're going to pick up the pieces once it kind of does what it needs to do.
0: How do you find the energy to keep going?
1: The long hours, there's long hikes in there, our gear is super heavy like they because we, there's less of us than an engine group. Like I used to work on an engine and maybe go to like three major campaign fires a year plus a lot of like little smaller local ones. Now I'm like I think I'm on my seventh full one, and I'm about to go to the creek fire tomorrow, so that's like number eight, like a fourteen day you know plus rolls and like actually, our pay is quite low, so we make a lot of our money off like that over that overtime and that hazard pay. I left the other fire like four days early, the boys timed out on that fire, and then they get so you work for fourteen days, however long it takes you to travel home, and then you get two days off of r and r and during those two days you They don't call you like you have to be left alone. And they were only there a couple hours before we got a resource order to go to the Creek Fire. So they texted me. and I was like, the Creek Fire, that's like 90% contained. Like, what are we doing there? But it turns out that there's one piece. It's one of those situations where it's real inaccessible. It's on like the wrong side of Roosevelt Lake or something like that. So they're trying to figure out right now how to access it. They're thinking there might like boat... Us across, and then we'll set up camp on the in like the wilderness area. And it's not a very large portion that needs to get worked on, it's just you know, it's just hard to get in there. So, that is what's going on with this fire. And I go tomorrow to go meet them.
0: So, for those of us who are not hot shots, like what have you learned about toughness by doing this job?
1: One thing I've learned about this job humans are so durable, like. What seems unimaginable, like, I remember my first year on the crew, like, my first fire where, like, I literally, like, swung a tool and worked for, like, 16 hours. You know, our shifts are, like, approximately 16 hours. So, you know, I remember, like, working for that long, and he, like, dude, this has got to be illegal. Like, it can't be serious. Like, we're supposed to do this, like, over and over again for 14 days? Like, no way. But then you do it once, and then you do it twice, and then you do it for five years. And at the end of that five years, I'm like, I'm totally fine this year. Like this year has been like busy, but like nothing, you know, crazy. I feel good. Um, it's just a little hard, like time away from home. I don't neglect my little animals and you know, you just, it's like, it's a lot of time away from home, you know?
0: Yeah. Huge. It's a huge commitment.
1: Yeah, it really is. And like, this is one of those years you're just like, dude, I can't even imagine how people do it with kids, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, thank thank you for everything you're doing. What you do is incredibly hard, and what's at stake is so huge. It feels it feels like a lot.
1: It's an ass kicker for sure, and I, I think that like if this maybe was my my first year was really hard year too. That one's a real ass kicker too. But you know what I mean. Like it just it doesn't seem that hard this year just because I'm used to it. And there's like things this year, you know, because of COVID. Most of the time we spend at camp we go back there at the end of shift and they have like either mobile sleepers set up or, you know, you kind of, it's all very civilized. They have like mobile shower units and mobile food units. And here because of COVID we're only using camps for logistics. Like we go there, we pick up food, we get like whatever it is we need logistically, the maps we have briefing. And then we just, you know, get out there and go sleep kind of elsewhere. So what that's meant for me is like way less showers than normal which the boys don't seem to mind, but that is not a thing for me. I'm, like, so not into that, like, not showering for days stuff. Um, And there was, like, a a one fire where we had poison oak really bad, and it, like, really helps to be able to take a shower every night and then not to be able to do that. I'm, like, I think if that happened to me my first year, I would have been, like, oh, dude, fuck this, dude, I'm out of here. But, um, you know, because I'm kind of used to it, I'm, like, oh, yeah, this really sucks. Like, you know, like, no big deal. (laughs) Like... That's what I mean. Is like, I think people are really adaptive, like the human yeah. body. So I think if there's one quality, because you see some of these guys, I mean, some of them are like all big, studly, like muscle up guys. I think really, like the one quality is just like real, like like toughness and like durability. Like mm-hmm. you got to be tough to be a hot shot. Like it's not for everybody. I'm part of a cadre called Women in Fire, which tries to like. Get more females interested in this agency and being in fire. And I wanted to be part of that cadre just because I don't think it's right to like just shotgun trying to get more females into an agency like this. You know, you want the right women. You don't want a girl that's going to be like, oh, yeah, see, like, cool, I'll get a job there. And then, like, first crazy fire, they're like, yeah, I quit. Like, that's actually literally happened, you know, and she just, just quit in the middle of like a really tough fire. So, I feel like that looks, you know, terrible for women. And, you know, it's it's actually like a real dangerous. So you don't want like just women, you want the right women. But I think man, woman, or other, this is a tough job and it's just not for everybody.
0: So Justine, how did you how did you end up becoming a firefighter?
1: Well, I was so I have family in Boston and Los Angeles and I'd moved back to Los Angeles, kind of just kicking around, not really knowing um what to do or you know, where to go in life. And I heard about the Forest Service and I was boxing at the time. I was, you know, feeling pretty physically fit at the time. Um, So I I applied and, and, you know, I was accepted as a seasonal, a large portion of our workforce is seasonal. And, um, you know, it's not like this was like a a career, like a a dream job for me at all. Like there's no firefighters in my family. It, It, you know, previously wasn't even something I really considered I didn't have any you know nature training. I'm not like a camper or fisherman or hunter or anything like that. Like, um actually like my other longest job before this was bartending. And my idea of picking up a tool was picking up a purse or my cell phone. So um, you know, it it was a little eye-opening, but it turns out I'm I'm really fast and I'm really strong and I'm kind of like an ant. I can pick up like four times my weight and be fine with it. And, you know, I have a lot of older brothers, so I'm going to be one of those rare females that has no problem working with a bunch of guys. I came here and I can't say I fell in love because it's just too hard to be like, oh, I just fell in love with it. But it sucks you in. And it's kind of like, I don't know, like being a firefighter or especially being a hotshot is kind of like being in an abusive relationship, like you need it and you miss it and you wonder what they're doing. And the whole time I was on vacation, I was like thinking, oh my God, they're going to leave without me on another fire. Like, am I going to be able to get out there? Um, But then you get away from it for a while and then you're like, oh my God, this is killing me. (laughs) So, you know, you just, you kind of end up there and it's a, it's a really like worthwhile, like, like put it this way, like nobody that I work with or I know, like needs to see a therapist. Does that make sense? when you just work that hard, that like physically that hard. And it's like, yeah, like I'm, just not, I'm not worried about a lot of things that like consume a lot of people because I'm just trying to worry about like, not like dying of like heat exhaustion, if that makes sense.
0: That makes complete sense.
1: And it turned out I'm very suited for it. So that's kind of how I ended up here. And I also, to be honest, I just don't have no, a lot of job skills. Like I'm not like good with computers. I'm not good with people. I'm, like, Oh, what about this? Nope. What about that? Nope. Like, uh, finished college? Nope. Um, but you know, tough, strong, innovative, like, and just, you know, can work for hours on end. Like that's me. So I guess I'm one of those few people that, you know, can do this job.
0: I love it. Boxing's a good place to start. This isn't a one-way fight. You, you got a lot of incoming.
1: Totally. Yeah you know, boxers are real tough, just tough people, you know, just, I'm going to go for fun. I'm going to go stand in a ring, let someone punch me in the face. Like you got to be kind of tough. And it's also awesome cardio, which I think helped me a lot. And I think more than anything, what's helped me in this job, because like I said, that I'm one of only like a few girls, I'm like physically very at the top. And I think none of the men care, they're not like, oh, great. We have a girl on our crew. Like if the reaction is, oh, great. We have a girl on our crew. It's going to be because of past experiences. And they're worried that they're going to be held back physically by someone who isn't going to be able to hike as fast or isn't going to be able to, you know, carry their share of the workload. And once you prove that you can, they don't care. They're like stoked to have a girl. Like who doesn't, I smell nicer than them. And you know what I mean? Like (laughs) the boys go feral without me. But, uh, yeah, n- nobody cares if you're like, you know, right. if, if you're a woman or if you're gay or if you're black or nobody cares. Like, um, any stigma that one might have about a female in that workforce is just because if you're just looking for like body ratio, like size of the person to our gear ratio, it it's tough because our gear, you know, is approximately like 35 pounds. And then sometimes you're carrying a chainsaw, or you're carrying something else. It's another 28 pounds. So you're looking at like 60 pounds and I'm, you know, 130 pounds. So I'm about 30 pounds less than the smallest guy on the crew. So that's tough. Yeah. Just from like how much, like, you know, we're looking at like half my body weight, trying to like, like climb up a super steep hill, but it turned out I was really good at that. So I've never had any, any problems in, in the workforce being, being a female
0: you came from a pretty urban environment like as you said you weren't an outdoors person you weren't a hunter How has your sense of being in nature evolved in the job
1: nothing jared i hate it like i would rather light myself on fire than go camping
0: recreationally (laughs) i love that um that's a great answer
1: yeah i think so one thing that like is cool is like we are very prepared like we're laced out we got like the right kind of sleeping bags and the longer you're there, you get more and more like dialed in. I think you start taking things for granted. Like we'll be like next to Half Dome or we'll be in places that most people pay big money to get to. And we're there. We got someone, we got a helicopter ride up there. It got dropped off there. And then every once in a while, it's really important to to like sit back and you like look at something and you're like, oh my God, this is rad. And like when the operational tempo of the fire slows down a little bit and you actually have that opportunity and you're like, you know, laughing with your friends and like doing something and you're just like... You know, wow, I can't believe we get paid for this. This is quite lovely. This is rad. And most people spend their two-week holiday, their only two weeks that they get off from work, like coming up here and I'm getting paid to do this.
0: True, but most people might not want to be going to those places when they're on fire. You must spend like more time in nature in a few months than, than most people do in a lifetime.
1: Every year that I've been on a hotshot crew, I've had at least a thousand hours of overtime. So those are a thousand fire hours. So then you look at those guys that have 20 years in, that's 20,000 hours of fire experience that they have. And they're beyond knowledgeable. Someone who really blow your wig back because... They'll, they'll know things of like different tree species and they're like, oh, they'll give like the operational briefing. We're like, all right, cool. So I just want to let you guys know that you guys see this. Um, this is called witch's hair. This is moss that grows on this type of tree. Just when the fire gets up, it don't freak out because the fire will just rip up just the witch's hair and it's actually not burning the tree. a newer firefighter is going to look at that and think, oh, my God, the tree is torching like, ah, like what's going on here? But really, it'll just go up and then it'll come right back down because it's just burning what's on the tree, like what's growing on the tree, stuff like that. Or They're like, all right, well, I've been in this canyon before. and I know that the winds will do this um, during the day and then they'll do this at night. And then when it gets to this area, like it'll be calm, like they, they have that on the job fire knowledge that just kind of comes with years of experience. And then you just kind of get a sense of things. And a lot of what is done is explained, but a lot of it is just understood intuitively just from, they call them slides. And that's just those things that you've seen over past fires that give you the experiential knowledge to know um, how to basically fight it. Um, Like kind of what tactics are gonna work, what's not gonna work. And, you know, sometimes you just gotta take a bite of the fire, see if it's working. And if not, you know, try something else.
0: So this year, Justine, we've had some of the biggest wildfires and the most wildfires in, in California's history. What, what's that all about?
1: So the biggest fire um, in history was actually in 1910, um, which is a long time ago. And it burned three uh, million acres in 36 hours. And that's the fire that kind of inspired the modern forest fire policy of like aggressive fire suppression. So before that, it was just kind of like, we'll like let fires burn a little bit more. But after 1910, that's when we started like trying to a- extinguish every spark. So I guess pre human era, which is like 11,000 years ago, the only lightning kind of started for uh, only fire started from lightning strikes. Um, and then the burn, like the, it would burn every like 60 to 150 years. And the fires were nuclear. So that's kind of like what's happening right now. Because right. we put all the fires out, you have these long periods in between, um, you know, fires, so much of the trees and the is so much old growth it's so much overgrowth that when we get those fires they're nuclear and they're huge and they're, yeah. they're really difficult to suppress um and then you have the native american era so that was like eleven thousand to 500 years ago and every five to 15 years they'd burn the areas and the fires were a lot more manageable so then when it did catch from like a lightning fire or something like that it wasn't um like those crazy nuclear fires And then, you know, you go back to the Spanish colonial and they weren't into that at all. They didn't know what the Native Americans were doing. The more modern agencies that would start putting fires out, like extinguish them at the smallest they could get them. And and now we're kind of in the situation that we're in today.
0: I really appreciate it. Good luck deploying tomorrow to the glass fire. A huge thank you to Justine Good for being such a hot shot and for talking with Podchip Earth today. These are times that require us to be both tough and durable, and listening to Justine made me realize that, like any other skill, we need to train ourselves to be more resilient. I do realize that few of us have what it takes to be a hotshot, but all of us can train to be tougher in the face of adversity. As Justine emphasized, that doesn't mean going it alone. Rather, we need to have a plan, a backup plan, and then an everything-going-to-hell plan. When we try and play the hero, more often than not, we're putting other people at risk. And if you think you might want to try and be a hotshot, maybe just like Justine, get in a boxing ring first. And finally, these precious words from Justine.
1: I would rather light myself on fire than go
0: camping recreationally. (laughs) Thank you so much for being part of the Podchip Birth journey. Please share Podchip Birth with a friend so we can continue to spread the word. From the entire PodShip Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spade, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jared Blumenfeld, given the right training and approach, we can all be hotshots in putting out fires in our own lives.